centered up. My camera guy, how we looking? Good. All right. Padre Feliz Dia. No? Feliz Dia de Padre. Happy Father's Day for all my non-Spanish speakers. Um, it's so good to be here. Um, as you guys know, I've been traveling a little bit, um, a lot of work stuff, and just personal family accomplishments and things like that. But it's so good to uh, to know, man, that God is still working. And our church doesn't need any one person. Uh, the only person that we, the only one person we need is Jesus. And so um, that's what I want to do. I want to talk about Jesus. I hope to encourage you from the scriptures today uh, to follow Jesus. Um, there's many, many things pastors maybe try to accomplish in their own strength. And I don't want to do anything in my own strength. And I don't do, I don't want to do anything to make you uh, not follow Jesus. So my prayer, I begin this sermon, is just that, that Jesus would be uh, high and lifted up. He would be magnified. His glory would be revealed. And as a result, uh, through the the foolish things of this world, a preacher like me would explain the scriptures in such a way that you want to follow Jesus more. And if that happens, I'm happy. If that doesn't happen, then I'll just trust the Lord that he's got another plan. But I, I think that's his plan always throughout time is that his people would be strengthened and encouraged to follow him. So join me in prayer, then uh, we'll jump in. Uh, Father, we just start just by acknowledging that you are the God of the universe. You are the creator of all things. Uh, we thank you on this Father Day, Father's Day that you have instituted family. Uh, the first family, Adam and Eve and their children. We know that, uh, God, you have a special plan and purpose for men and women. And uh, we know that the brokenness in our community is the result of our own rebellion and our disobedience. But God, that you sent your son and your spirit to quicken our hearts, to make us come alive and to restore the family and that families would be restored and the church would be healthy and then cultures would be restored. And so, God, I pray that today uh, as we look at the ways of our master, the Lord Jesus, that our intentions of our heart towards you would grow and that the things of this flesh would decrease. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, do that for me, Lord, that you would decrease my flesh and that you would increase your presence and your spirit in my life in such a way that uh, this message really connects with your people and not for my name or for any church name, but for the name of Christ alone. So we love you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so on Father's Day... Um, it's really cool that, um, you know, people take a day of the year and acknowledge fathers. Um, you know, many of us have good and bad examples of fathers, father figures in our lives. Um, whether it's your own personal father or somebody you've seen in a church or at work or just in the community, a baseball coach, somebody who's impacted your life in a positive way. Um, you know, it's days like this where, you know, I get real sentimental and I think about like all my kids, my two sons who are away, um, early in the morning, um, I say early, like nine, they, they FaceTime me, they message me, uh, Logan's on Instagram now and he put up a little Instagram story about his dad and, and, you know, I was just reminded that, um, you know, without Carolina, like I wouldn't be a dad. And so there's no dads independent of the women. And then without kids, there's really no fathers. But ultimately, without the Lord, I, I just wouldn't gravitate towards righteousness or even good morals. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I've been a Christian now for almost 13 years. And some of you guys, I think if anybody in this room besides my wife and my kids knew me before the Lord, but sometimes people will applaud and I'm, I'm grateful people honor me as a father. I have many friends you know, texting each other back and forth, even my own children and my wife made me this sandwich today. Let me tell you real quick. Before, my, Like my wife, I don't know how she does it. You could have some Hawaiian, my, I like Hawaiian roll, that's my thing. And then I like mayonnaise, mustard, Colby Jack's preferable, but I'll take white American. 
and then some turkey and some ham and maybe some salami and, and maybe even some pepperoni from time to time. Like I can make a sandwich with those ingredients and then she can make one. And the best I can do is like a six and she's always like nine and a half out of ten. The reason I don't give anybody a ten because ten is reserved for the New Heaven, New Earth. And I think food, food in New Heaven, New Earth is going to blow us away. But so her sandwich was usually like a nine and a half. Well, today she brought me this sandwich and dude, I mean, she like didn't withhold any of her culinary gifting. Um, it was toasted with butter, melted cheese, and like I'm kind of weird. I kind of like like not a like not double mayonnaise, but kind of like 1.5, and it was just that so much so like the tomatoes starting to slide out a little bit. And uh, I'm just gonna tell you, I felt very honored. I felt very honored by her. And then about my own children and the text message I received. But I, I was reminded to, to myself is that um, if it wasn't for God and if it wasn't for God's people, I would be really an ultimate failure as a father because I probably wouldn't have married my wife. I probably wouldn't have stayed with her. And I probably wouldn't have loved her children as my own and, and my own children the way that I have. But because of God and because of God's people, and particularly people in this church, um, I've got to look around and see really faithful, godly examples of men and women which have informed the way that I lead my family. And so I just want to say thank you before we begin. I just want to say thank you to the men and women of this church. Because of you and the way that you love your families, it's helped me love my family better. So I thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, even those in the past, think about Jade Stanford. Jade Stanford taught me how to use a calendar. Man, I remember he was, you know, we used to do elder meetings back in the day, and he was like, let's schedule a calendar. I was like, I don't know how to do that. It's like, it's easy. There's an app for it. You just go on there and you press it. I was like, I don't want to do it. The one part of it. Now I know how to work a calendar. And now my days are filled with calendar meetings. So thank you, Jade. But even better than Jade, even better than an awesome sandwich that my wife made, even better than the examples of men and women in this church, we have a better example. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't discourage churches that take a break from preaching to you know, do a Father's Day sermon or things like that. We don't typically do that here. Every now and then we will. But uh, we just we believe that the regular preaching and teaching of God's Word is sufficient to meet us on Father's Day. And so on Father's Day, I'm looking at this passage and I'm looking at really the, the best example of a human being who was fully God, but His example on earth. And so the title of today's sermon is Ways of the Master. Ways of the Master is kind of a play on words. You know, there's a famous evangelistic ministry called Way of the Master, which many of us have been blessed by. But this is Ways of the Master. And we're going to see Jesus here who's about to reach a critical moment in his ministry, really really for the life of the kingdom. And he does something that's foreign um, to many of us. And we'll get into that. And we'll see the way that the way that he, he handled decision-making and processing for, for big moments. And I, I pray that that God would use uh, this message to help us uh, not only make big moments for God, but process, make good decisions that lead to big moments for God. Because how many of you guys know, and this is for each of us, whether you're 8 years old, 18, 48, whether you're a cosmetologist, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a father in the workplace, that God still has and desires big, impactful things for your life. Do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? Or do you think that your life is just like going to be so-so and, well, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens. Like that's not the pattern of disciples in the Bible. God's plan and purpose for disciples was these moments where not every moment was a big moment, but man, they were certainly building up and leading to these moments where it took a God-sized faith to accomplish God-sized missions. And I think that's what God has for our church. So if you guys will stand and read with me, we're going to read from Luke Chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. It's kind of a shorter uh, passage today, but there's a lot to unpack. And uh, we'll go ahead and read together. Words are on the screen. I believe so. Yes, they are. All right, starting off in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, who named apostles, Simon, 
who had named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of his diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, but prayer came out from them all. You guys may be seated. This is God's word. All right, so when we look at the ways, ways of the Master, we're, we're going to start off in verse 12, and we're going to see that Jesus does a, a pretty unique thing um, that many of us have never done. It says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. Most of us have all prayed, if not all of us. But then it says, And all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus started his evening in prayer, and then he continued throughout the entire night praying. Um, I won't I won't take a show of hands, but just in your heart, have you have you ever spent that kind of time in prayer that like concentrated, you're praying for something, literally from you know the evening, uh, the sunset to the sunrise. That's that's the kind of prayer Jesus was in. Um, there's been many times in my life where where God has woken me up in the middle of the night, um, whether it's 1.30, 2.30, 3.30, and um, I've been forced to pray. You know, I didn't want to wake my wife up. or I was always afraid. Like my first response, I think I've shared these stories before, but my first response is to get on my phone and like, I don't even know, play chess, wordscapes, age of origins, whatever. Like just doing something. And I was always afraid that she was going to look over at like 2.30 in the morning and be like, what are you doing? Like I'm just sitting here playing age of origins. Like I didn't want to be that guy. So, so I, I learned when the Lord would wake me up early on that the only real safe thing to do, whether it's the right motivation or not, was to be found reading Scripture. Like if my wife were to wake up and look over at 3.30 and I'm reading the Bible, I don't think she could get mad at me, right? No, she wouldn't. Um, I don't think she'd get mad at me in the other thing, but just kind of like question, like what, what's going on? Like it's 3.30. So I would be forced to pray in these moments. And sometimes these moments would last five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour, two hours, and sometimes three or four hours. But I can tell you, that I've never prayed from the sunset to the sun to, to the uh, sunrise. I, I just never have been that dedicated to prayer. And and it, this reading this passage and studying Jesus' pattern for prayer and his dependence on the Father, it really challenged my own obedience to prayer. Um, and I think sometimes we take prayer uh, lightly. I think we take prayer very li- lightly as a church, uh, just personally. The ministry I'm a part of, Love Life, uh, you guys are very well acquainted with it. Um, does anyone know the four things that happen in a love life adoption week? They can repeat them. Just see who's following along. There's, it's, there's a here. You're hired. We were looking for somebody, so you're it. Um, no, here, pray, go, connect. And our founder, Justin Reeder, he he was introduced to the abortion uh, plight in Charlotte, and he got invited out there by the Benham brothers and. He saw the reality of abortion happening in our city and um, he was discouraged because he didn't see a lot of the church out there and he didn't really know what to do. And it was through reading through Nehemiah where God gave him the strategy of hear, pray, go, connect. Nehemiah heard about the walls of the city crumbling down, being destroyed by God's enemies. And instead of spurring and just powering himself into action, Nehemiah stopped, he prayed, he fasted, he weeped before God, and then he went to the walls himself and saw them, and then he connected the people to God to help rebuild the walls. And so <clears throat> this, I think that's one of the reasons the Lord has blessed love life, is because before we spring off and do things for God, we're petitioning God to do things for us on his behalf, for his glory, and then we move forward back with that groundwork and that fundamental uh, layer of prayer as our foundation. And there was a quote that I've heard, and maybe I've said it in this church, but um, it's Oswald Chambers. He says, um, prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And if you look out through the annals of church history, 
you'll be hard pressed to find any great significant move of God that wasn't first precipitated with men and women of God on their faces before God praying. And so a lot of times we'll think we'll get the revival of God or the repentance of God and we, 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 we're empty and devoid of the prayers of God. And so just as a little spoiler alert, at the end of this sermon, we're going to put into practice, we're going to pray together as a congregation because we're all together. We're here, right? We're of one accord. We're going to be in, instructed by what Jesus' pattern. We're instructed by the people of God all throughout the New and Old Testament, all throughout the past 2,000 years of church history. I want to see... God move in the hearts of unbelievers. I want to see God move powerfully in the hearts of our children. I want to see God move in the hearts of the parents of this room. And so we must first be people of prayer before we move into action. So, um, in keeping with that, you know, we talked a couple months ago about the Lord's Prayer, and we all could probably recite the Lord's Prayer, but there was a prayer that came up in the CBR, which I was really impacted by, and uh, shout out to those of you who are following along the CBR. If you didn't know, it's not called the CBR anymore. It's the SJT, Seeing Jesus Together. But we have a church reading plan. And I happen to think it's probably the best reading plan that's out there because it's one Old Testament, one New Testament passage, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday, it's a psalm. And then Sunday, there's no reading plan because the producer of the, the app or the plan expects for you to be with God's people, learning from the Word. And so um, what I love about the reading plan is we used to do, I think even before the woods came, we were doing Robert Murray McShane. We've done other ones. And there's like five to seven chapters a day. And what, what I found is I asked people about their daily reading was, man, I'm so far behind. Or, yeah, I'm doing it. And I'm like, what are you learning? Like, I don't know. There's so much to process. And again, if that's your, if that's your style and you can do that, go for it. Like, I'd rather you do that than nothing. But I'm saying I think God, the purpose for God's Word is that we would we would read it, we would comprehend it, uh, God would, would bring nuggets, he'd highlight things for us, and that it would impact us. And one of the beautiful things about that CBR is I'm not typically drawn to, to go to want to go read books like Leviticus, even First and Second Chronicles. And so the other day, Second uh, Chronicles, I think it was three weeks ago, Second Chronicles was part of our reading, and um, I got to verse 7 of chapter 1, and this is what it says in, in regards to prayers. I want to read this for you. So you can see how a godly man prayed. Uh, Solomon. Verse 7, it says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. So God's asking Solomon, hey, what, do you, like, what do you want? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. Verse 9, O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. This is what he prays for. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon this way in verse 11. <clears throat> because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And so I started as I was... God, you know, sometimes you're reading, like, I actually press the play button on my app every morning and let it read to me. And for some reason, when that, when that was being read aloud, it was like, wait, what? Like, hold on, let me go back. Like, I've heard that before, but wait, what is he praying for? Because Solomon was the one who would help really significantly build the kingdom, help build the temple. We know Solomon's known, he's the author of Proverbs. So he's like the wisest guy pretty much ever. You know what I'm saying? And what does he ask for? Not stuff, not honor, not position, not even that his enemies would be destroyed. But he asked for wisdom and knowledge on how to lead God's people. And I was like, man. You know, this past year, as we've, you know, struggled with the stuff with, you know, Jake and Logan going off and well documented this church and stuff going on with my mom. Like, my prayer has never been that. And I'm not saying you can't pray those other things, but my prayer has mainly been for provision and stuff and this and this and this. And it was like, God, what if I just started praying for wisdom and knowledge on how to lead God's people? Am I one of God's people? Yeah. So even the wisdom and knowledge, Lord, teach me how to lead myself. And then help me lead your people. Is my wife part of God's people? 
Yeah. Are my kids part of God's people? Yeah. Are you guys part of God's people? So would it be a bad prayer that I would ask for wisdom and knowledge on how to lead God's people? Including myself? So we should, so I was just thinking, man, like not saying that I don't want you to get religious and start getting spooky with these prayers, but man, this is a good prayer. God, we want wisdom and knowledge. Then I started thinking. I started funneling everything, wisdom and knowledge of God, and then not that. I started thinking about, like, I'm listening to sermons Carl's doing online. It's like, this is the wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, these are the oracles of God from Scripture. When we sing, we're singing out wisdom and knowledge of God. Great is thy faithfulness. Like, that's a, that's a wise statement. Our favorite psalm that we read, we did as a church, my favorite psalm, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like, I don't know nine wiser words you can string together. It's like, that's a pattern of how I want to live my life. That's a wise statement. And then I started looking at things I was watching on TV or hearing. It's like, I funnel it through. Is that wisdom and knowledge of God? If not, like, I don't want to, part, I don't want to be a part of it. And I'm not saying we can't learn from things, learn how to engage people with the gospel, those things. You know, we need to learn the culture we live in so we can engage them. But if we're inundated with things that aren't the wisdom and knowledge of God, guess what we're going to become? Worldly. We're going to be fools, right? Like, is that what God wants for our church? Is that what he wants for his children? Like, when you, when you wake up with Hayden, are you like, hey, Hayden, go do the dumbest thing possible and just have fun doing it? No, you're like, hey, because I love you, let me instruct you in the ways that you should live so that you can not only be a productive member of society, but that you can help build God's kingdom, which is what Solomon was known for, building the physical kingdom. And now God's called us as his people to build the kingdom spiritually. So let that, let that resonate. Take that on board. Because really, <clears throat> what Jesus was going to do in that moment of prayer was he was about to appoint 12 apostles who would govern us. These 12 apostles would be the ones who would be the writers of the New Testament. The ones who would give us instructions out on how we are ought to live. Right? And so Jesus, like we knew he had more than 12. But he's going to appoint 12. And these are going to be the leaders of the church. This is going to be the foundation of the church. And so Jesus, he took a lot of time to pray about it. And so I just want to encourage us, as you're making difficult decisions in life, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allow all things to you. And seek first prayer and wisdom on how to govern yourself and God's people. And God will flow everything out of that. So the, the first point was a, a, a way of the master is to seek God in prayer before making big decisions. So I just want to encourage you. Listen, if you don't bathe things in prayer, like if you if you have a big decision, the two principles I have, maybe more, like fasting, fasting and prayer is like one of the same. You pray, you fast, and you seek counsel from others. And and it and it needs to line up with this word. And if it does, you can move forward. And then if things don't work out. Like a couple years ago, as a church, we prayed, fasted about our church moving to Plaza, remember? Our family moved down there. Like we made videos. We're all moving. We're doing this thing. And here we are. Like a couple years later, we're not there. And so you can look at that and be like, womp, womp, Like these guys were a big failure. No. Because the church leadership at the time, we prayed. We fasted. We looked at Scripture. We sought counsel. And we went down there with, with, our, with our best foot forward. And it wasn't God's plan. Or it, or it was His plan, but it was a different plan than what we thought. Right? So we don't look back on those moments and say, oh, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. That, was there some regret and bitterness in my heart? Yeah, the Lord's worked through that. But but at the end of the day, like we know we prayed, fasted, and we sought the Lord and sought counsel of God's people. But here's what happens if you don't do that. If you, if you um, <clears throat> young people, let's say you get engaged, Right? And you didn't pray about it. You didn't fast. You didn't, you didn't seek the Lord. And then God's people are even saying, Hey, man, I don't know. I don't know about this. Like, I don't think you should do this. Like, the scripture says this and blah, blah, blah. And you've kind of becoming prideful in your own stomach and heart and your mind, the way you're living your life. Like, it's probably not going to work. And then at the end of the day, when it doesn't work, the only person you have to blame is yourself. And so I'm just trying to give you wisdom and knowledge to protect you from potential landmines, many of which you probably will be the one who sets them up in front of you, then steps on it yourself. 
the wisdom and knowledge is through God's people, through His Word, through prayer, through counsel, um, through the Spirit. <clears throat> so what was Jesus going to pray about? Who He would appoint. Second point is this. A way of the Master is to empower others to advance the kingdom of God. You guys, here's a question. Do you think Jesus needed apostles to advance the kingdom of God? No. You sure? You don't need anything. So the wisdom of God is that he would use people like us. That he would use people like Levi and Shekinah and their children. Right? He would use fishermen. He would use tax collectors. And so he's getting, he's getting away to process this decision of who's going to be the twelve that he appoints. Uh, we know there was at least 70, right? He sent out 70 at a time. So just so you know, every disciple was not an apostle. But every apostle was first a disciple. So in this room, we are all disciples of Jesus. None of us are apostles. <clears throat> Jesus uh, was the ultimate apostle. Because the, the word apostle means a sent one. Jesus was sent from heaven as an emissary to, to um, with the authority of the Father, with the authority of God. Jesus, in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, what does he say? All authority has been given to who? To me. Jesus has the authority. And he's coming now and he's going to position 12 people to become apostles to walk in his authority. To walk in the authority of God. So this was an important decision. Because these people would go on to be the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.19 says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The apostles and prophets were the foundation. Jesus was the chief cornerstone. In Acts 2.42, which this church was a, it's a foundational church text, it says when the early church gathered, they, they, they prayed, they had fellowship, they observed the Lord's Supper together, and what did they study? Whose teachings? The apostles' teachings. Like the New Testament, the apostles' teachings. These are the people of God instructing us, still to this day, how we are to live. Flowing from these 12. That's how big of a decision it was. He didn't just like pick 12 random people. You, you, and you. Like, he, he was, he was on his face before the Father asking God, who will these 12 be? Because they will be the foundation of the church. Now double clicking a little bit on apostle, let me share with you what, what qualifies to be an apostle. An apostle the qualifications for being an apostle including having been with Christ during his ministry, having personally witnessed Jesus after his resurrection, and having been empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles or signs. Paul was not an exception to part of the qualifications, or Paul was, excuse me, Paul was an exception to part of the qualifications, but we know that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter with Jesus and was called and set apart to be an apostle to the Gentiles. There are no apostles living today. Okay, um, We did a test a couple years ago from Ephesians 4, the APES test, and it, it kind of said, hey, how are you gifted? How are you wired? And one of the, quali one of the um, qualifiers was the apostolic gift. Okay, So apostolic, in the modern sense, means that you are kind of entrepreneur-minded, you're, you're, you're geared towards outreach, gathering people, going out, maybe a church planning kind of personality. Uh, actually, myself and Jade both had that, which made for uh, a good church planning duo early on. But neither Jade or myself were apostles. I didn't live with Jesus. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't called by Jesus in Luke 6. My name's not in there. Um, but we had the apostolic gifting. But the reality is we all have the apostolic gifting because we're all called by and sent out by Jesus. Some of us have it more than others. <clears throat> But some Christian groups still use this, this phrase today. And um, 
I think if you challenge them and explain to them what I just said, they would agree that they're not apostolic in the sense that we that we agree on. Uh, maybe maybe what they're really saying is like they're they're more like a planter or they have that apostolic sort of gifting. If someone comes to you and claims to be an apostle, um, you need to reject them, mark them, and say, "Hey, man, in accordance with Scripture, there was twelve that were appointed, and there was a couple after, including Paul." Uh, Matthias in early part of Acts, but uh, Dorothy, Apostle Dorothy, and Apostle Jim from down the street—not you, Jim, but another Jimmy. He's—they're not—they're not apostles, and, and you can't—you uh, can't take what they say as credible because a lot of a lot of times there are these people that claim to be apostles that will use that title, um, and, and sometimes I think some of these people are just ill-informed through their own tradition. But a lot of these people will use their apostolic title to manipulate God's people. You know, they'll be the same kind of people that are going after and devouring the homes of widows and trying to manipulate and prey on people's fears through giving or not giving, sowing seeds into ministries. Like that stuff is no longer happening. And she kind of just texted me. Oh. Thanks, she kind of. She sent me a song. Um, I'll, I'll check it out later. So who are the apostles? Well, it's, it's these people right here in Scripture. And if you'll notice that as Jesus is calling to these disciples and, and labeling them apostles, you'll see here um, he starts with who? Peter, okay? And Andrew, his brother. So which person was following Jesus first? Peter or Andrew? Peter, Andrew... Andrew, Andrew, Andrew actually followed Peter first. Andrew was one of John's disciples. And then when um, when John the Baptist had the revelation of who Christ was, he called his disciples to now follow Jesus. Andrew was one of them. And so when Andrew started following Jesus, he, he brought Simon and said, hey, you got to follow him with follow Jesus with me. But you see here in the order, Jesus doesn't list Andrew first. He lists Simon. And so it can be. Um, reason from this that Simon would kind of be a spokesperson or a first among equals. Um, if you study the scripture, you'll see that Simon was very vocal. He was very zealous for Jesus. And so for whatever reason, Jesus puts him first and kind of lists him as the first among equals. Now, just to talk a little bit about Simon or Peter, um, I think it's interesting if we understand his life, I think we'll find a lot of similarities with all of us. Right At times, we've all been zealous about Jesus. And also at times, we've also been a little ashamed at times. Um, we've had some ups and downs. Peter was no stranger to ups and downs. Um, Peter was the one that when Jesus asked him in um, Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus comes to the group of disciples. They were at Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, Who do you say... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you if you know anything about uh, Israel, I've asked the question many times: Who's been to Israel? None of us raised our hands. We need to change that because I want to go to the rock at Caesarea Philippi because that rock there um, is you can look it up. It's a geographical place; it still exists. That place was a um, basically there was this rock. And there was this gigantic cave behind it. And every now and then there would be water that like spewed out of this cave. And so the people, the pagan people, they looked at this rock as one of the gods or many of the gods. And that if they conjured up enough, like what? What? The cave, what about it?
Yeah, so I was getting there. I thought you were about you were saying there was something else. So what they would do is if, if they if they could conjure up enough pagan activity which really involved you know bestiality and orgies and probably pedophilia and some of the most unspeakable things that we would ever look at. And if they did enough of that, this water would burst out of this cave uh, symbolically as like the gods erupting, for lack of better words. Like if we could conjure up enough pagan debaucherous things, it's going to cause this this cave to explode and burst forth this god juice, if you will. And so Jesus was at this place talking to His disciples and He's saying, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Upon this rock, we're pagan activity. Like we're planning, hopefully by God's grace, August 19th, Charlotte celebrating the Pride Festival. And we're praying and we're asking the Lord when we go there, not if we'll go, when we go, how will we respond? Will we be the angry, condemning preacher or will we go like we've been going to the park with water bottles and Bibles and saying, hey, there's a better way. And we'd love to pray for you and talk about it. Because Jesus said He's going to build the church at the gates of hell and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And, and this is a safe place. right? This room is a very safe place. This is not Caesarea Philippi. Praise God. Right? I wouldn't want to go there, just so you know. I don't want to be around that pagan activity. But when God was commissioning His people and He gave Peter this opportunity to confess, Jesus is Lord. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And, and Peter, you're going to be one of the main disciples. And so there's this cataclysmic moment where Peter's like, you are the Christ! Like, yeah, we're going to build the kingdom right here! It's amazing! And then a couple verses later, verse 21, Jesus says, Hey guys, just so you know, um, part of this kingdom I'm building involves me going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. So Peter and the disciples went from this moment where they're trying to understand like Jesus is saying we're going to build our kingdom here and they're probably trying to process that what that looks like and it's kind of cool and it's amazing. It's it's heroic. It's adventurous. And then just a couple sentences later in the book of Matthew, he's now telling them that he's going to go and be killed by the scribes and the priests and be risen three days later from the dead. And Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? I mean, that just sounds crazy, right? Like Jesus tells you something, you're like, nah, that ain't gonna happen. Right? Obviously, he didn't understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. Right? But he, he pulls Jesus aside and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Right? So, as a quick, um, aside, we're Protestants. Okay? We, we honor, we love Catholic people, but we don't honor or love their doctrine. Because the Catholic Church says that Peter was an infallible priest or pope and that from him seceded infallible priests or popes. Basically, that they could issue a papal decree and it was infallible. And so we see Peter right here, who, who they say was infallible, literally telling Jesus he was wrong. And we know that Jesus would go and be beaten by the scribes and preachers and then be raised three days from the dead, right? So is Peter infallible? Infallible means is he is he perfect? Wrong. No. Is the Catholic Church perfect? Not no, but heck no. Like they've added to Scripture. They said this sixty six books is not enough. They've they've made up all kinds of new sacraments and decrees, all kinds of new hoops for people to jump through. It's ridiculous. And so we see here, Peter is he's just like us, right? Because here's the deal: every time you sin sin against God, you've told Jesus the same thing. Jesus, you're a liar. Right? In essence. Because the Bible teaches us, especially in Hebrew, we've got a whole study on it, that Jesus is enough. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than this. Jesus is better than that. And so every time you sin, you're, you're picking something else over Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're a liar. Right? 
So this puts us on equal footing. Like we're all we're all sinful people, right? So this this is what causes us to love people who are trapped in the LGBT lifestyle. This is what causes us to love people that are steeped in Catholic Catholic doctrine. This is what causes us to love people who are atheists, agnostic, God haters. This is what causes us to love people in the church when they struggle. Is because we too are not infallible. We too make mistakes, right? The difference is we have the Lord Jesus Christ. We're inhabited by the Holy Spirit and we're pursuing righteousness. Amen? So Peter would go on, man, to have this crazy story. They didn't make a movie. Has there ever been a good movie about Peter? Nobody? Nobody ever seen one? You're saying yes? Was it, was it good or was it just... When I say good, I mean a lot of Christian movies are kind of like... you know. They need to make a good movie about Peter because his life was amazing. When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, what did Peter do? Pulls out his sword, chops off a dude's ear. Jesus is like, no, man, don't do that. Jesus puts the ear back on. Right? He's zealous for Jesus. He's so jealous, zealous for Jesus that, that a couple hours later, as Jesus is apprehended, people go to Peter and say, aren't you one of, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He's like, no. Three times. Right? This zealous dude denies Jesus. But then Jesus, by God's grace, this is how God is. He rises from the dead. He goes to Peter and he just like pours out his love all over Peter. So much so that Peter still remains a fixture in the early church. Peter would go on to preach the sermon in Acts 2, which led to mass revival. Peter would go on to do miraculous deeds all throughout Acts. Peter would be arrested. Remember they're praying for Peter and Cornelius. Is it Cornelius' house? Where they're praying for Peter? And as they're praying for him, they're like, it's a ghost. And they're like, no, it's actually Peter. As they're praying, he gets released from jail and shows up at the prayer party. Then Peter would be captured again. And then eventually, um, Peter would be martyred by Nero on a, cro- on a cross that was upside down. So, so when Jesus picked Peter as the leader, he's, he's actually maybe in some ways giving us tangible things we can look at and say, if I called Peter to follow me, this is this is a similar path that you guys should also be willing to live on. Now, the reason that uh, the cross was upside down was that Peter didn't find himself worthy to die the same in the same way that Jesus did. You know, Jesus hung on a cross like this. Peter said, "I'm not worthy to die in the same way as my Savior," and so they turned the cross upside down and they martyred him. Andrew. We don't know a lot about Andrew. We know that he was a follower of John and then a follower of Jesus, and then he led Simon um, to Jesus. Um, R.C. Sproul, who's been a great help for me going through this Luke study, uh, they named their church St. Saint, uh, Andrew's Church. And it was basically because Andrew was known for bringing people to Christ. You see that pattern of his life in the New Testament. Um, Andrew also would go on in 70 A.D., uh, to be persecuted, martyred on a cross. Uh, his cross was in the shape, the, the shape of an X. And the church history fathers say that when Andrew saw that he was going to die on a cross, he was elated. And he said, my whole life, I have been picking up my cross and denying myself. I can think of no better way to die. These are the guys that we follow. This doesn't jive with American Christianity. Like This doesn't jive with smoke and mirrors and, and flashy social media marketing. Right? This doesn't jive with that. These are guys who are, who are giving their life up for Jesus. And then it goes into James and John. We know James and John were brothers. Um, the, the big three, we like to call them, is uh, James, John, and Peter. Um, these were the ones that were kind of like Jesus' inner circle. <clears throat> they were also known as the sons of Zebedee, otherwise known as the sons of Thunder. And the reason why is they were like Rusty Thomas. Uh, they were they wanted Jesus to bring down fire from heaven, you know. And I'll tell you, I love Rusty. I love when I get around Rusty. I feel like all of a sudden I'm like I'm ready to run through a wall, you know. And I want to see fire from heaven. But they're not perfect either. And one of their one of their faux pas in Scripture was their mom goes to Jesus and he says, her mom says, "Hey, Jesus, um, can Jimmy and Johnny?" You know, can they sit at your right hand? Can they rule with you at your right hand? And Jesus rebuked her, and this is where we got the teaching of the last shall be first and the first shall be last. 
Um, going through the list, there's two James in this list. There's James the Less, who was the son was James the son of Alphaeus. Um, and then there was James the brother of John, who was named James the Great. And can you think why they why they named him James the Great? Anybody want to take a guess? Huh? He was very big. No, but that's a good guess. He might have been big. I don't know if that. Maybe he was big. Why do you think they call him James the Great? What do you think made him so great? He wrote the book of James. I think that might have been maybe quote me on that. I think so. But that's not what was it. But what was the reason? Is it did James write James? I think so, right? But like sometimes it's like James and James and James. Like which one? Um, why was he called James the Great? Because he was great. You know why he was called James the Great? Because he was the first apostolic martyr. He was the first apostle to die as a martyr. And that's why they said he's James the Great. He's the very first apostle to die and be persecuted for his faith. And so because of that, they said James the Great. He wasn't the first Christian martyr. A little Christian trivia here. Who was the first Christian martyr? Stephen. We have a very biblical, literate church. I love that. So now you'll know why James the Great was called James the Great. Because he was the first Christian martyr. He was martyred in 44 AD. Now listen, church history tells us that 10 of these 12 apostles would go on to be martyred. 10 out of 12 of them would go on to die in martyrdom. John was the only one not to suffer a violent death. John, church history says, was boiled in a, in a vat of oil. They put John in there to try to persecute him. He's in this vat of oil burning up. I know it sounds horrible, but he lives. And, and the, tor- the people who are torturing him are like, like they've had enough. You know what I'm saying? Like we're kind of laughing about it, but it's like, man, like this guy was in a vat of oil burning alive. And he lived. And so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And that's where John would go on to have the revelation of Jesus Christ. And um, and then there was Judas. right? Judas suffered his own death. He took his own life after he totally betrayed and sold out Jesus. So 12 out of 12 of them died. 10 died through martyrdom. And John was the only one that would um, live and suffer. Uh, another interesting fact, another reason we should go to Israel, is uh, there's John's tomb is still in Ephesus. He was died and buried in Ephesus, which is not in Israel. So we should go to Israel and we should go to Ephesus. Uh, we should just tour all of it. We start saving up now. Uh, Peter, he helped write First and Peter, First and Second Peter, and Mark's Mark's gospel was actually Peter's sermon to the Romans. Uh, John, we talked about earlier, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and um, the book of Revelation. And again, the book of Revelation details Christ's return. So this is the, the apostolic teaching we still live by. But you cannot have Christ's restorative return unless you have Christ first coming to die. And so a lot of people ask, right, in John 6, 64, it says, Jesus knew from the beginning who was, excuse me, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So people often ask the question, trying to stump Christians, oh, why did Jesus still select Judas if he was going to betray him? And the reason why is because Jesus Christ came to die. Jesus Christ came to be betrayed. Jesus Christ came to be brought before all the religious leaders, persecuted, unrighteously judged and sent to a cross to die a criminal's death. Why? So that you and I can be forgiven and set free from all our sins in this life and the next. That's why he did it. Jesus' betrayal and his sentence to a cross would be part of God's plan for salvation. And so the gospel call for us today is do we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection for the complete forgiveness of our sins? Do you believe that?
Like I know I'm preaching to the church, right? I'm preaching to Christians. But, but we need to be reminded Jesus Christ died in your place. He rose in your place. He sits now in heaven interceding for you along with the Father and the Spirit who dwells in you if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian and you're within the sound of my voice, whether someone's watching the stream now or later or you're in this room, if you have yet to trust and fall completely on your face in love head over heels with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are condemned in your sin. The Bible declares that God is holy, He's just, and He's righteous, and you're unholy and unjust and you're unrighteous, and therefore God can't even dwell in your presence because your sin is it's, it's abominable for Him. That's why He sent His Son to die in your place. If you don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you will perish. You will rot forever. A never-ending death. And that's what awaits non-believers. And so these people, these apostles understood that eventually, right through the Spirit illuminating. And they would go on to die for this. They would go on to take and lose their own life for the Gospel's sake. Which leads me to the third point. A way of the Master is to minister to the masses. A way of the Master is to minister to the masses. This Gospel was never meant to be hoarded. You guys ever seen that show, uh, Hoarders? You know what I'm talking about? I should have put a picture up here. Like, you walk through people's living room and you got to walk like this and because there's stuff everywhere. Like Wendy's bags from 1970. You know, like... I don't even know. Like, just dead cats. I mean, it's just like, it's horrible. They're just building up all this stuff. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna perish. And, and I'm telling you, as I was studying this sermon, I was thinking about the church. And I even thought about us. And I'm not, I'm not condemning us or anything, but I think a lot of times we hoard the gospel. Like, we come in here and we can sing about Jesus and we love Jesus. And then when we go outside the door, it's like, you don't say anything. We hoard it all inside here. Like, Jesus is only for me. He's not for you. But Jesus is showing them the pattern here. As right after He appoints the apostles, He takes them to the mission field. He takes them directly to the mission field. They came to Him. <clears throat> they came down with Him and stood at a level place and a great crowd. Lots of people. A great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear and to be healed. So a lot of times we want the miracles, right? We see people who are... They, they want all the miraculous things of God without the teachings of God. You always see the Word accompanying the miracles. It was always meant to, to point people to the way, the truth, the life. There's no one going to come to the Father except through Jesus. And again, we have opportunities every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night we go to the park. Okay, and I'm really proud of our church, by the way. We started with 10 cases of the Bible. We bought them on Black Friday. Got a great deal. Did we get about 10 or 8? Bought a bunch. There's like two left. We've been passing out some Bibles. Yeah, we, let's, yeah let's, let's do it. Now, if you're under 43, you can read it. If you're above 43, it's like... like I, the worst thing is I hand someone the Bible and then I'm like, let me get on my phone and read Scripture to you. I have a hard time seeing those Bibles. Maybe I'll invest more next time and get a little larger print. But the, the, the point is, is that we're going out into the masses with the Word of God. And I can't think of a, better, a greater gift to give someone who doesn't know Jesus than a Bible. Because the Bible itself says this Word will not return void. Whatever it's set out to accomplish, it will do. For some, it will draw them in, and for some, it will push them away. And we, we can't, we can't maneuver, we can't manipulate that effect. The Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God's gonna do. Our job is simply to deliver the mail. And we've been doing that. And so that's what Jesus has done. And that's gonna be the pattern of our church. Um, I don't think anyone in this room has come to faith through that ministry yet. But I believe it's going to happen. That we know of. Yeah, in this, I said in this room. Did anyone in this room come to faith through that ministry? Maybe. I mean, you could have some younger, right? 
But but we're going to put a big emphasis for the remainder of our church to look what Jesus did and then do it ourselves. I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that. It may not look pretty. It may not always smell good. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but this room feels really warm to me. It's just me. I know I turn it to 60, and then it's like, I look over there, it's like 80, and the dog's got her blanket on. She's probably, it's always going to feel good. But it's going to happen. We're going to do ministry. And we're going to do it together. It's going to be messy. The gospel was never meant to be hoarded. It was meant to be given freely. So where are we called to go? Where are we called to go with the gospel? All the world? Into all the world? Including? Okay, give me some real examples. Work. Grocery stores. Coffee shops. Gas stations. What if you work in a gas station? You can share the gospel in a gas station. The park. Your own home. Right? What about to the man or woman in the mirror? We need that, right? That's the starting place. We think about God's people leading God's people. You must first master, not master, but you must, you must prioritize your, your own personal relationship with God first. You'll never be able to lead others. The prison? You want to go there? We can arrange that, Jim. Like long-term mission trip? Long-term mission trip everywhere, right? Like we need, like we need that. But here's here's the other thing. <clears throat> In order for that to happen, we have to start thinking like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we haven't, but the way Jesus thought about leadership, God, Jesus Christ didn't need a single person, but He appointed twelve. And so, if we're going to see the ministry of this church flourish and the kingdom of God flourish through the inner and outworkings of this church, we need people to step up. We need people to step up. Men, women, and children assuming places of responsibility and leadership beyond Carl and myself. And I'm not saying nobody's ever stepped up, okay? But I'm saying we need to be able to look at people and say, we're going to trust so-and-so with so-and-so. Right? Even, I mean, I'm not, this isn't me like bashing the church, but like when we thought about doing deacons, there was a lot of hesitancy. It was like, man, there was, there was some hesitancy, right, Carl? Some. And there wasn't, there wasn't like people like, dude, I'm at the front of the line. Tell me what to do. There wasn't a lot of that. There was a little bit of that, but there wasn't a lot of that. And I'm not, that's not me like bashing anyone. Cause, cause maybe the truth is maybe there's been hesitancy on my part as a leader. Maybe I've been hesitant. You know, so maybe I'm leading out of hesitancy, but I can tell you right now, if that was part of me, that's in the past, I want to move forward like Jesus. I want to pray. I want to, I want God to raise up leaders and not just men. Okay. We are a, a complementarian church, right? That means that men and women are equal value. We have design roles that are different, but women are just as valuable as men, including little women and little men. Like teenagers, single-digit people, Moses, talking to you. Like you guys are valuable. If parents, you know this. Kids are truth tellers. Like when I go, if, if I'm gonna go evangelize in the park, I would almost rather have one of my kids tell someone about Jesus. Because they're gonna be super truthful, they're gonna be unashamed, and they're really cute. <laughs> and aside from my wife who thinks I'm really cute, most people don't. You know what I'm saying? So I want to, I'm telling you, kids just have a special place in the kingdom of God. And we need to utilize our children. We need to not be afraid. It's not a manipulative tactic. You know, it's just like reality. It's reality. You guys are cute. She's laughing. She's cute. So, we're going to put into practice right now. I'm going to ask for five bold people who will be willing to pray up here at the front. Okay. Looking for five. 
I'll start with one. Alright, we got one. Is she two? Alright, we got two. Let's do this. Let's get some men. Let me get let me get a man. Alex, come on up here. Let me get a teenage male. Let's try to cover all the demographics. Get a teenage male. Is Josh the only teenage male? Huh? Oh, there's six. How okay. He's an older teenage male. Alright, and then just one I'm gonna say someone over sixty. How about that? Is anybody here over sixty? Oh, are you up? Okay, sorry, Jim. You can sit back down. <clears throat> All right. You can pray where you... Yeah. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray the prayer of Solomon in specific areas. Now, what was the two things Solomon asked for? For what? To lead God's people. So it wasn't just give me random wisdom and knowledge so I can be rich or have a bunch of stuff. It was, I want wisdom and knowledge and how to lead God's people. So we're going to funnel that prayer through this. Dylan, I want you to pray for the people in the church that God would give wisdom and knowledge to lead ourselves. Lead ourselves. Okay? Shekinah, I'm going to have you pray for wisdom and knowledge for fathers and mothers to lead their homes. Okay? Alexa, I'm going to have you pray for wisdom and knowledge for our church that specifically God would raise up more elders and deacons. Okay? Alex, if you'll pray for wisdom and knowledge that from this church, whether this church or future tense church, that God would raise up city leaders in our community, city councilmen, school board members, etc. Leaders in the community. And then Josh, would you pray for wisdom and knowledge for our church, that God would raise up more ministry leaders and missionaries across the nation, across the globe. All right, everybody know the assignment.